Welcome back to the final episode of season six. This is episode 23 of six seasons, y'all, of just me. (laughs) Just me. And starting season seven in April, I will be taking on a new format. Uh, You will still obviously get solo episodes of moi talking about moi, but I am ready for the next chapter here and a little sick of talking about myself and to myself (laughs) if we're we're keeping it real. Uh, I'm excited to start interviewing guests that I respect, that I trust, that I admire, that I feel have a unique story and perspective on a lot of the topics that I work in and and talk about on all of my socials. So I'm so excited for that. I'm working really hard on this end to get, you know, the, the, the video, the sound, everything intact, tight and right, as I like to say, because it won't be just me. And, you know, we want to make sure it's good for everybody. Um, and I and I want to make sure it's quality, you know, and that there is some video clips that we can put out there and possibly in the future, once I kind of get this mastered a little bit, uh, maybe start putting them up on YouTube for you. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But I am excited for this next phase because it's going to bring about some challenges within myself, which I always lean into. Uh, And it's just going to be great to kind of step into a new role in this podcasting space. And instead of, I mean, I know I know most people start a podcast and immediately start interviewing people. And I kind of went the other direction. I started a podcast to be able to have an outlet to expand on topics that I didn't feel like I could put into an Instagram post or caption or a TikTok video or whatever, right? I I wanted a, a, a format where I could talk and give you more context and tell you more stories because I'm windy, I'm mouthy, I've got a lot to say. And shockingly, I, six seasons in, have gotten to a place where it's hard for me to come up with a topic that I haven't already talked about. And that's not to say that revisiting some of the things that I've covered is wrong or bad because it's definitely not. But I I think it just kind of sparked the curiosity and the interest and and the challenge because I've been very adamant (laughs) with myself about not exactly wanting to interview people for, for many years. And now I'm in a place where I'm like excited to do that. So all in all, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. I have a really exciting first guest lined up, and I am going to take a brief little break between this final episode and the start of season seven, give you time to catch up, binge past seasons, 
Uh, you've been with me through it all, guys. You have heard me go from, you know, really struggling in my relationships with my family and my parents to completely transforming those relationships. Like completely, like I have detailed out almost every step of that process in past seasons. You've been with me when Dewey was alive, some of you. To those who don't know, Dewey was my Pomeranian. Wait, wait. Uh, just for <laughs> in case I ever use this video, in case I ever do, this is Dewey. <laughs> this is Dewey. My brother ironically bought me this portrait uh, of him before he passed away, and I was so excited. And then, ironically, like I think it was like a month later or whatever, he ended up passing or two months later, something like that. Anyway, that was Dewey. He was, he, my child is, although he's deceased, um, and my relationship to him and how special that was. And then the grief and and that whole process when he suddenly passed, getting into dating around the same time that my dog died. Holy traumatic <laughs> experience that was. You've been with me through changing friendships, moving several times, not just across the state, but out of the country, <laughs> uh, creating an entirely new, healthy, safe relationship with Phil, uh, navigating the ins and outs of that for the first time, my nephew being born. My God, you have been here with me for the ride. And I mean, we're not even... I'm only 38. I'm just getting started, guys. Wait until the next chapter, right? So I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really looking forward to the new challenge that is on the horizon, and excited to get in today's um, episode. I don't want to elongate my, yay, we're changing formats. Uh, I am back from Mexico. Obviously, we are back in the office. If you are not watching the video of this, or I have not posted it because she's still uncertain <laughs> about that. Uh, I'm back in my office uh, in the New York, New Jersey area. Obviously, that is where I am born and raised. And uh, uh, getting acclimated back to the cold weather. She's in long sleeves. She's bundled up. I've got a blanket on my lap. You can't see me because that's what happens when I'm in cold weather and sitting at my desk. Uh, poor circulation. If you know, you know. Um, and Mexico is great. Mexico always brings about a lot of deep, insightful, challenging moments for me and for Phil. And, you know, one of the big ones was, you know, a year ago when we went to Mexico, as a lot of you know, I started doing yin yoga for the first time out of nowhere, just was like, need to do something for my body, want it to be low impact, need to calm my nervous system, discovered yin yoga, started doing it every single day and have not stopped since. And that was an entire year ago, um, almost to date. And then we went back to Mexico this time. And for some reason, for some reason, I don't know if it's the jungle, the dirt roads with giant potholes or not really wearing clothes every day. I'm not really sure what the motivating factor was, but I go there and I get 
I get energized and motivated to challenge myself out of nowhere. Once more, I just suddenly, I have been for 38 years, somebody who is, is walking around saying, I'm not a runner. I actually own a shirt that says, I hate running. I make jokes all the time that I will only run if, you know, I'm being chased or I'm starving and I'm going to the fridge. Well, out of nowhere, I was like, I kind of want to run and asked Phil if he would go on a run with me for the very first time. And like a psycho, I decided, yeah, sure, Phil, I'll just trust you you to tell me what the right distance was. I didn't know. I didn't know, to be honest. Like who I didn't run in like 20 years and was gonna run for the very first time and was just like, yeah, could you just like come with me and keep me company? Cause I'm scared to run through the the Mexican jungle. And so he did and we ended up running a mile and I did it. I did it. I didn't die. I successfully did it. And uh <laughs> And then I did it again a couple days later, ran another mile. It was easier. That was an experience just to watch the change within a few days. And then the third time we went, I was a little sore and we ended up only doing a half mile. And by the end of that, I could not walk and literally thought I had strained something, broke something, pulled something, like could not walk, was limping, knees hurt, ankles hurt, didn't know where the pain was actually coming from, was a little nervous that I was going to have to wait a week to come home and see a doctor, decided to start just putting ice and heat and stretching it for that last week in Mexico. And by the time we were getting ready to pack up and leave, I was walking a little bit better. And now that I'm home, I've been stretching every day, twice a day, like first when I wake up and right before bed and realize that I don't think I broke, pulled, strained anything. I think what happened was 20 years of not running got the better of me and I pushed myself beyond my physical limits to the point where all of my muscles and tendons in my legs and ankles and feet were like shouting at me. What the hell did you do to us? So yeah, they were tight. They were hurting. I'm bruised up. <laughs> yeah, like like there are bruises on the bottom of my feet. I can walk. I have not gone to a doctor because it is improving through just stretching. Um, And I plan to get on the safe treadmill in my gym sometime this week and try to slowly warm up to a half mile again. I know I can do a mile effing impressive guys not running in 20 years and just like sure I'll do a mile uh so I don't know I, I I'm I'm pleased and impressed I don't think I've fully digested what I've done um I'm seeing changes in my body though which is very cool in ways that I have attempted to to impact certain parts of my body years ago with different exercises and never could get it and again always dug my heels in was super stubborn and like just adamant I was never going to run. And look at me now. She's not going to do a marathon anytime soon. Let's not get our hopes up here. But I am excited about it. So that's cool too. Um, other than that, no 
other updates. Phil unfortunately got sick the very last day we were there. We were in, we traveled from Tulum to Cancun because the airport is in Cancun and Cancun is like an hour plus away from Tulum. And our flight was super early on the weekend. So we went up to Cancun the last day. We hung out, had a hotel, spent the night, got up super, super early and went to the airport and then got home in the afternoon. And he has been sick, poor baby, uh, since that night in Cancun. Um, just like traveler stuff that caught up with him. But yeah, he's he's down for the count. And I, I'm a good caregiver. I am. I'm a good little nurse because I grew up in a house with a nurse. So I, I'm good and I'm attentive and I like, but I, I hurt watching him hurt. You know what I mean? You know, when you, I, I never really understood it when my mom was like, I hurt to watch you hurt. I was always like, you shouldn't like, I would fight that, but no, now I understand this on a different level. I'm sure when you have kids, it's even like, I felt that way with my dog, but I know again, different. I didn't birth my dog. That would be weird. Um, (laughs) but I hurt to see him hurt and, and just like, you know, mopey or achy or just having a hard time. So just send some good thoughts his way. Um, prayers, whatever you do, uh, because, uh, you know, he, he's got a lot of work stuff going on and, and it's, I'm like, your body is yelling at you. You need a break but we were just in Mexico. It wasn't really a break though. We work when we travel. Like we don't take vacations, if you know what I mean, because we both work from home. So we're, we work where we go and we're just in a new environment and get to like go experience new things while we're there. But people seem to think sometimes that we're going and we're just taking all these vacations. That's not the case, guys. Like we had a private office in a co-working space and we were in that co-working space Monday through Friday. Saturday and Sunday, sometimes we also did additional work. So yeah, that's the reality of that. Anyway, we are 14 minutes in. So why don't we get into the episode? I'm just going to whip out my phone here to look at my notes because yes, final episode of season six. She's going to, she's going to make a little note, a little notesy for herself. Yeah, you can't see, but I've got to post it and I've got it on my phone. So that's fun. Today, we are going to be expanding on some recent Instagram. I know you probably hate when I do this. I actually don't know. Is it weird when I'm like referencing things I posted to social media? It's just I put a lot of effort. I don't know if you realize that. I put a lot of effort into my social media posts. I really think them through. I spend a good hour plus sometimes writing them, thinking them through, making sure they're detailed, making sure there's a really great, valuable, meaty caption, uh, just because I want to provide value. I can't, I, I, I like, you know, random quotes and BS online too, but I don't follow mental health professionals for that content. I follow comedians. And I've talked about this in early episodes, like a lot of the people I follow on social media are stand-up comedians because I I need that in my life. <laughs> so if I'm looking for like a cheeky quote or some humor, I, I'm not going to someone like me. I'm just not. That's not what I don't, I'm not on your account for that. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't go... <laughs> 
bad metaphor coming up. Uh, you don't, you don't go to, I don't have one. <laughs> you don't go to a Chinese restaurant to get Italian food. There you go. That's a really great one for you. You know what I mean? You just don't. You don't. You're not looking for that there. If you wanted Italian, you go to the Italian restaurant. You're going to the Chinese restaurant because you want freaking Chinese food. You're coming to me because you want value. You're coming to me because you want to learn about trauma, how to navigate it after the fact. You're not coming to me. I mean, you come to me, I think, also because you enjoy my personality. And if you don't enjoy my personality, you're probably not listening to the podcast. And that's fine. I mean, there's something for everybody here, right? Some people are just like, I don't give a shit about her or the person. I just want what she has to say. And other people want the full package. I appreciate you most. Because <laughs> I'm a full package. But anyway, uh, you know, so so anyway, so let me get back to, to not trailing off it with my ADHD brain here. Self-diagnosed, by the way. She's not, you know, I just know I have it. Um, anyway, which it's often rooted in trauma. So today's episode is going to expand on, and I'll just give you the brief here and we'll get right into it. Okay. So how and why we get triggered in healthy relationships. Those were my most recent Instagram post threads that I have posted. I talked a lot about how I was single for six years and didn't want to date very intentionally single, was not at all interested, very much like content with just hanging out with friends and family. And then when I did put myself out there and I was ready to start dating and then I was moving into a healthy relationship, I thought I had it figured out. Like I thought I had a handle on all these triggers and no, no, it was suddenly like, uh, I ran into a wall and face planted myself because I, it felt very much like all the work I had put in, I didn't put in the minute I entered the relationship. And mainly, I mean, that's very normal. I'm going to get into that in a second. Um, but so we're going to expand on that. Like, why does that happen? What do those triggers and trauma responses look like? How to cope, navigate, and move through them? How to communicate with your partner and ask for support? Um, and what your partner can do to best support you. So I think it's a pretty meaty last episode. Let's jump right in. We're almost at the 20 minute mark and you got a little life update, which we love to do, but now here's your value. Give me a second. I need to take a deep breath before I jump into this and maybe a sip of coffee. Oh, She's empty, guys. A sip of water will do. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. Let me let me trail back real quick to, to where it began for me, right? I had a lot of toxic and abusive relationships romantically, but also within the family. Um, not really friendships. I didn't really have super toxic friendships, I would say. So anyway, I, I obviously had like childhood trauma and whatnot, but we're going to focus more on the romantic aspects for this episode. I chose to be single for six years after leaving, uh, 
what I thought was a serious relationship. It lasted for almost a year. Um, I was committed. I thought this person was committed. Needless to say, uh, that relationship ended not because I chose it to, because they chose it to. And the abuse happened and the toxicity was happening within the relationship when we were together. And it continued after he ended it. He, I won't get into the details, but the gist of this is that like, while I was intentionally single and, and this is obviously missing context that you don't get when I post online or I briefly kind of tell a story, but that abuse followed me for probably the bulk of five of those six years that I was single. And so I was navigating the aftermath of having been in that relationship while simultaneously navigating the ongoing abuse that was taking place while I wasn't in the relationship. While I was trying to heal from the relationship, I wasn't given space to heal. I was harassed. I was, I don't want to get into that, but let's just leave that where it is, okay? I wasn't left alone. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, so so there was no space to truly heal. So when I say I was single for six years, I was single. I was not in that relationship. I did not want that relationship to end, but I was not a healthy, I was not who I am now then. And now looking back, I could say, well, that wasn't a healthy mindset either, Amy, which is okay. That's okay to come to that conclusion down the road, right? But being that I, that was the mindset I was in when that breakup occurred, and I was very much trying to be like, well, you don't want to be with me, so let me move on. But this person was like, no, I don't want to be with you, but I also am going to torment you and manipulate you and stalk you and all of these things. And it tormented the living daylights out of me for years because I was trying to take information and behavior at face value. So it was like, you're reaching out to me, you're calling me, you're wanting to see me. And clearly, I don't want to send you a mixed signal. I want to see you too. And I would want to talk to you. And I would want to work through things too. But then it was all just this manipulative, immature game of torture, pretty much. So I didn't have the ability to properly heal Probably, and I'm estimating because I don't remember even the years, let alone how long all of this took me. I know I was single for six years prior to starting to put myself on a dating app and date. I know that for a fact. I'm estimating five of those six years, if I recall correctly, I was being tormented. Now, one might ask, why did you allow that? Well, you could see coming out of that relationship, I said my mindset was very much, I didn't want it to end. So of course, when somebody is approaching you who ended it saying, let's talk, I am like, oh yeah, of course, yes, right? And I didn't have boundaries and I didn't have, I had very low self-esteem compared to where I'm at now. 
low self-worth, like a lot of things were very different in my mindset and my, and you know, my behaviors and my coping skills back then. That was why I quote unquote put up with it. And, and I say it that way for a couple of reasons, because there's an important part of abuse that is missing when you read it, read about it online, right? When you deal with, I would say this person was narcissistic in their, in how they behaved. Are they diagnosed with something? No. Right. But I would say their behaviors were extremely narcissistic and I would, and abusive. Right. So you could just generalize and say Amy's dealt with narcissistic abuse. Right. Uh, remember that narcissism falls on a spectrum. Uh, undiagnosed, but narcissistic, obvious narcissistic tendencies. So the reason I address this is because when you hear about abuse or you read about narcissistic abuse or you read about any type of abuse online or even listen sometimes in podcasts, there's a missing element to the discussion. As someone who's been through it, and not just romantically, okay, but I'm focusing on that in this episode, you have to recognize that the accountability for you to take is not blame for the treatment. Like that's what everybody misses when we say take per like, like you are responsible for you in that situation. I am a thousand percent responsible for having chosen to enter that relationship and chosen to deal with what I dealt with long after the fact. However, This is why context is so essential. However, the reason that I dealt with it, I didn't have healthy coping skills. I did not have back then healthy, proper professional support. I was being manipulated and abused and controlled by the professional support I was going to. That's a whole different conversation that I am not at all (laughs) having. Uh, Just know that there are not great professionals out there. Okay. Number three, my mindset was rooted in immaturity, low self-esteem, my own childhood trauma, and any other trauma that had occurred prior to this adult relationship I had entered into. You get the point. So I'm operating from a place where I didn't have the tools, the experience, the equipment, or the outside support to tell me or show me or help me understand that I could do something differently. I also, due to the professional sport I was going to back then, did not feel like I could go to anyone because that professional was saying, only come to me. Now, again, context is missing here. They weren't saying only come to me because you'll get confused going elsewhere and you trust coming to me. They were saying, you don't talk about your struggles with anyone else outside of this environment because you are going to, and for lack of a better way to say this, you're you're going to... Um, how do I put this? In very layman's terms, jinx yourself. <laughs> I don't really want to get into any of this. I don't know why we're going down this path. But the moral of the story is that like my very 
uh, naive, inexperienced mindset back then, back then was I need to listen to what this person that I think I trust and I feel like has helped me before is telling me, right? Now, granted, just for like, so we have a, a differentiation here. When individuals come to me for support, I say to them, you know, like you want friends, you want family, you want a support system outside of this. However, you have to keep in mind, because this is important for us all, including myself, when I go to my friends, it's different than going to a professional. When I ask my friend, let's say I ask my sister-in-law, because I'll talk to my sister-in-law a lot. When I ask my sister-in-law her opinion, she's going to give me her personal opinion and how she would handle that situation through her perspective, through her life experiences, with her coping tools. That's factoring in her own personal struggles, mental health struggles, whatever else is compiled into that, right? When you go to a professional, a professional is giving you not a perspective. Usually, if they're a good professional, they are not giving you a, a guidance riddled with their own trauma, riddled with their own um, limiting beliefs, riddled with all of their own personal stuff. They have been trained and they have the skill set and the experience to basically, I don't know how to put this in other words, but being that I do this for a living, almost like I step out of my personal space and I step, we're we're losing my mic here. (laughs) We step out of my personal space and I step into the space where I am hearing your stuff through a non-judgmental filter. It's not impacting me and my personal life or my personal relationship with you. So I'm able to give you guidance to support you and the choices you need to make. And what everybody experiences when they come to talk to me and work with me privately is something that pisses them all off, but they don't realize it is extremely healthy for me to do. Sorry, (laughs) but it wasn't done for me. And that's why I do it for you. So just keep that in mind. So what is done in my private one-on-one sessions with clients that y'all hate is when you ask me, well, what do I do? I give you guidance. I steer you in the direction, but I never make the decision for you. I say, well, if I'm in that situation, right, this is where I'm operating from in my mindset. So now let's address you. You're in this situation. This is what you told me is going on in your mind. This is what you're telling me has come up in your body, in your emotional state. These are your beliefs that you have shared with me, right? So I am basically mirroring back, reiterating back to them what they have told me. And then I'm able to kind of filter it out because I'm not in it. I'm able to then go, now hearing all of that back, right? Without it being riddled with emotion and fear, you tell me which direction you should go in, right? Or what that boundary needs to sound like. Or you tell me how you want to communicate this to this person because it needs to be authentic and it needs to come from you. And then I can fine tune. I can help you. I can give you ideas. I can reframe things, right? So I'm your support system. But the reason clients hate that is because a lot of us get stuck in our emotion and we immediately want an answer. So when I needed, 
like major help back then, and I went to that particular professional that I'm referencing, I was very needy and desperate and codependent. And so I couldn't spot somebody like taking advantage of that, whether it was intentional or not, doesn't matter. I couldn't spot it. Because I was used to, I had grown up in a house with somebody who just, with, with parents who do what we say, not what we do. And you speak when you're spoken to and you obey and obedience was confused for respect, yada, yada, yada. I talk about this in a lot of past episodes. So going to that professional, I'm operating with that mindset. So of course, if this professional does not have the skills or the tools to support me in a healthy way, they're going to just tell me what to do. And what happened was it got to a point where I was like, I don't even know what to text. Tell me exactly what to say. And they would tell me exactly what to say. And I was not learning anything. I was not being myself. I was not embodying any change or growth. I was just being obedient, like a little puppet to what somebody was dictating I needed to do and say in my own life. Like down to like, I I couldn't have a texting conversation with someone without checking for this person to tell me exactly how to respond. Now, clients will share things that they want to say to other people in their life. And sometimes they'll send me a screenshot. And I will sometimes when they ask me, like, how do I respond? I'll give them an idea and then it's always followed up with make this your own, right? Like here's a way you can phrase this, make it your own. Anyway, those those are important um, distinctions that need to be made. So so I, I dealt with abuse. Let's get back on track here. I dealt with abuse for a long time. So, so six years single, right? And then I started dating. And when I started dating, shortly thereafter, my dog suddenly dropped dead. <laughs> I have to laugh about it or I'll cry. So humor me here. And yes, still, I will um, love him dearly. And then I dated through my grief. Not the healthiest thing to do, P.S. Wouldn't suggest it, wouldn't do it again. But that's what I did. I dated because COVID happened at the same time. So I w- it was a double whammy. It was my dog dropped dead and then you went into lockdown and my vet who was helping me navigate the aftermath of my dog dying was like, you need to surround yourself with friends. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, they told us not to leave our houses. So I just kept on dating and, you know, was cautious and careful. But yeah, I went on dates. I'm not going to lie or hide that. I did. And um, it is what it is. I I moved through my grief but through distraction and triggering myself shitless through first-time dating experiences. And eventually, probably a year or less later, I don't remember the timeline, I'm horrible at time, uh, met my now partner, Phil. And I met him right before, and I've talked about this in past episodes, right before I was ready to just get off dating apps completely. I was, I was, I made a promise with myself, I'm not even going to get into this because we're already 
deep into this episode, but I made a promise to myself that I was going to delete the app and I gave myself seven days. And within those seven days, I was like, if I don't meet somebody that I truly connect with, uh, then fuck it. They're going to have to find me on the street. And guess what? Guess who I met in those seven days? Boom, Phil. And he, it was very, very like, oh my God, the stars aligned kind of thing because he only was able to match with me because he had gotten laid off, traveled the country, and then was just arriving home to temporarily stay at his parents' house. His parents happened to live two roads away from my parents, and where I was living at the time was only 30 minutes away from my parents. So he was within the range that I had on my app, and somehow we connected and met, and boom, boom, bang, now we're almost two years in. And so upon entering that relationship, it was obviously very exciting, very new, very fresh, And I had done enough dating at that point through dating apps to know very clearly what I was open to and what I was not, what I was willing to put up with, what I was not. Like I fine-tuned those boundaries every time I had a bad experience with any date I went on or guy I dated for a month or two months or whatever. I never had longer than three months with some of those guys. So when I met Phil... It was great. It felt right. It felt right for him. It all just kind of happened very quickly and not quickly in the unhealthy way, quickly in the very much like we know exactly what we want. We're older, we're, we've, we've got some experience under our belt. You are what I've been looking for. He's like, you have been, you are what I've been looking for because of the circumstances. And he was, temporarily, uh, like in between housing, he stayed over my apartment a lot. We ended up moving in together pretty quickly. (laughs) Now, you know, all my dirty deeds and uh, again, unheard of, like all things that prior to meeting him, I was like, I will not live with a man until there's a ring on my finger. And I will not do those things. Well, sometimes shit, just doesn't go that way because you meet the right person and you're like, holy cow, Uh, like these rules, these, these particular rules, not the important boundaries, but some of these particular rules just don't effing matter. You can't see me. If you hear noise, it's because I'm, I'm getting hot. You got me worked up talking about all this stuff and moving things and cords are flying. Uh, So that's that, right? So now I'm in the relationship with Phil and we are living together like soon after. So uh, you've got the newness of something that I've never, ever, ever had, right? I've had tons of relationships prior to him, but none of which I could classify as being mature, healthy, or safe or supportive. And now I'm living with someone other than like a female who I room, like I had roommates in college. I then lived alone. I I lived at my parents then I moved out and I lived by myself. So I had never lived with a guy other than my brother and my dad. Right. So I had the newness of that, all of which I welcomed with open arms and was very excited, but at ease with, because it was just right. It was right. I can't explain that when you're in it, you know, like that whole mentality of, you know, when you know is spot on. That was my experience. I just 
him and I literally told him the first date we went on. And mind you, nothing mind blowing happened. We had dinner, we talked. It wasn't <laughs> anything extraordinary, but there was something in me that was like, I'm marrying this man. And and that was it. And I the only person I told that to was B. <clears throat> and she was like, okay, okay, with just like a smile on her face. And now, you know, we, yes, all of that will transpire, talked about quite often. So, so needless to say, it all felt right. It all felt like the right next steps. It happened very, very naturally. But you have to factor in that I had like that double whammy, right? Of like triggers because, and, and but wasn't experiencing it yet. It took about, again, I'm estimating based off of my memory here, took about six months for me to start realizing I was getting triggered by things. Triggered as in like, because we lived together, we were together all the time at this point. Uh, it was the tail end now of COVID. He had he was working from home. I always worked from home. We're all, we're both now in my tiny apartment trying to work from home and make it work. And that wasn't even triggering. Like, cause I am a very flexible, accommodating kind of person. I was like, do you need some space? Here you go. Right. And I have a flexible schedule cause I work for myself. I can adjust when I see clients and what days those happen on. I clearly have a routine, but all of those things I can move around if I want to. He works in entertainment and, you know, he needed to take meetings too. Needless to say, we made it work, but the triggers that started to happen for me were when he started to have to go to work events because I had had him by my side since the day I met him. Like we were not apart at all. Like we, by our second date, we were with each other almost every day and never apart. And so, I mean, for more than a day, no, it, it was, it didn't happen. So when he started to have to travel into the city to do work events you know, it wasn't like he was, he wasn't gone for an overnight. He was gone for just like a day, but it was longer than what I was used to. And that was the first moment where I started to panic because I was like, oh, now I have to share you with other people. Like I didn't plan for this. I got so used to having our little bubble, just us together enjoying each other, working from home. Like, yeah, you're talking to people all day and I'm talking to people all day, but nobody's seeing you in the flesh. I am. That sparked so much abandonment for me, like sheer panic. And we've had a comfort level since day one, him and I, partly I think because we grew up together, but didn't really know each other. Our families knew of each other. I've talked about this in past episodes, by the way, but that's the briefing on that. Like literally went to elementary school, middle school, high school together, but he was older. So we didn't know each other personally. We have shared memories. That's what I always say. We have shared memories of like school and things like that. But I, 
I knew his brothers more than I knew him. Um, I knew the name, right? And he knew my name, but he knew my siblings more than he knew me because my younger brother was playing sports with his younger brother. And he knew my, he knew my sister or of my sister because my sister's older and he's older. We didn't know each other directly. But there was a comfort and an ease being that we were raised in the same place. We went to the same schools. We had these familiar shared experiences, but not together. And so, and maybe because of my experience up until that point, like I had exhausted myself dating. So by the time I met him, I was like, take me or leave me. This is what you're getting. This is like, I, at that point, I had gone through enough experiences. Mind you, some of those dating experiences were rather traumatic, and I'm not getting into that on this episode, maybe in a future solo episode. But some, like, so it wasn't like I was trauma-free, you know, while I was dating. I had some shitty, not just ghosting either, like some bad experiences. So, but I had gotten to a point where I was like, I know I'm a great person. I know I work hard on myself. I know, and I had the support of like good friendships around me and good people around me now, good professional support around me now, cheering me on and being reassuring and validating to me going, you're going to be an incredible partner. Like whoever ends up with you is really lucky and really helping boost me up, right? So I got to a point with my mindset, my self-esteem where I was like, I'm not perfect. I am humble, but I know I'm great. And I, I'm always willing to grow. And that in and of itself, like I wish I could emphasize for people the importance of that quality in a person. Because honestly, like it, for me, it's a red flag if you're not willing to grow. And you know, I don't use red flag lightly, but it is. For me, I'm like, I'm, I, not to my detriment, but really I'm somebody who is humble enough and recognizes that there's always going to be room for growth, that every bit of feedback I get, I run it through my own filtering system and I sit down and I journal or I talk to be about it. And I really consider, is this true? Does this resonate? Is there, if I get honest with myself, is there something in this that was given to me that I can take and and try to grow from? Or is it a complete projection from the other person? I am always willing to grow. So I that boosts my confidence more in a lot of ways because I walk into environments where I'm like, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. And I have this mindset of like, I know what I want to improve. I know what I'm actively working on. And, and whatever you throw at me, I'm going to take, I'm going to receive humbly, I'm going to run it through my filter, and I'm going to decide whether it's something that I can can use to grow me and better me. There's no better trait or quality in a person, truly. So I had this attitude and this mindset. So I didn't have the fear, and maybe, and I would add this because I think it's important, I had the practice of sharing it all with you guys. Like, yeah, granted, I do this for a living. It's not easy, though, to be a professional and talk about the things you struggle with. That was a challenge in and of itself when I got started because 
to be frank, you think nobody's going to come to you for help if you tell them you struggle too. What I learned in my over 10 years of doing this, it's the exact opposite. More people trust me because I'm honest about what I've been through. More people would rather come to me than to a conventional therapist, not because they they are good or bad, often because I'm open and vulnerable. They know she's got some experience, not just the, the skills that a teacher taught her. She's lived through it and come out and knows exactly what I might be experiencing and going through. And I hear that so much. And I have heard that repeatedly over the last decade that I've done this. So that changed dramatically too. So I had that under my belt, right? I had the confidence of being like, I've got a backing of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people who honor and respect the fact that I am open about my struggles and I honor and respect when other people are open about their struggles. So I didn't have the fear of being open and honest with him. Now I can't speak for him and maybe he will be an interview, Phil, on the podcast one day, but I don't have that fear. So I'm comfortable being someone who's like, I'm having a hard time with this. And sometimes it actually intimidates people. And and that might have been the case at times with him. Like he was kind of like, I've never experienced somebody who's so direct and so outspoken and so open about their stuff. Cause he's a little bit more of the opposite. Like he's he he has a master's in counseling. He does not counsel for a living, right? So does he have the education and the backing of that? A thousand percent. Is he also, and I'll just give you a little brief here, he's somebody who is less verbal about his stuff than me? Yes. And that was triggering too. Cause I was like, you don't talk about it. talk about it. <laughs> Tell me everything. And I realized that is not something that he feels is necessary sometimes. He says that's his processing, his his process when he feels something come up is he wants to sit with it. He has the capacity because I would say like has a way more regulated nervous system in many ways than I do being in our relationship because he has way more experience with healthy relationships and a healthier upbringing. So he has more resilience, right? A wider window of tolerance, if you will, to hold space for the things that challenge him. And and then there's moments where, yes, he's very human and he gets triggered and reacts and doesn't make the connection until later. We all do. I don't always, at least, I mean, now it, like I've that window has gotten wider and wider as I work through things. But upon meeting him, I had a very small window. Like we're we're talking basement size window. We're talking, you know, those basement windows that like sit right at ground level. <laughs> right at ground level where you barely get sunlight. That was my window of tolerance from my nervous system. So lovely to be around me because I was just like triggered by everything. And I have the ability to hide it well, because a long time ago, 
you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it, but I didn't cry for a very long time. Now I'm a big crier, big crier. It's gotten better. Like I don't cry at the drop of a hat anymore. Right. And that shows you window is widening, but yeah, dude, in the past, I never cried. I held it all together. People thought I had it all figured out. I never had like my own brother said that to me once. Like when I started telling him about the abuse I had been through and that was around the time my dog died, I started opening up to my friends and family. Yeah. It took that long y'all. Cause they didn't know. They didn't know. They had no idea. So when I remember telling my brother, he was like, I always thought you had it all figured out and you, you like, you were handling things in your life and you had it all together. And I was like, I'm a good faker. (laughs) No, it's just how I coped. I didn't feel safe for trusting of anybody. And again, bad professional support. So with that said, I, when he went back to work events, the, I had no shame in saying like, I'm, having a hard time with this. And part of navigating this was him having to get comfortable hearing that and him having to figure out, I don't know what to, like, he's never been with somebody like me. So, you know, and, and I I can't speak, I don't want to speak. I feel like it's inappropriate for me to comment on relationships. I have no like I was not a fly on the wall in his past relationships. I would say from my experience and observation, it comes across as if possibly there wasn't a relationship like ours where somebody was so in tune with their struggles and able to communicate them and very open about them. I would say that. I can't tell you if that was or was not the case. I was not in past relationships of his, right? What I will say is that we had to navigate those the ins and outs of that, like me expressing to him I'm uncomfortable. And what I've learned, and I'll give you this from experience, being as clear as possible has helped change the dynamic and how this information is received. There were times where I was just reacting and so dysregulated that I was like, I'm just, I'm really anxious and I just need your attention. But that's not clear because in his mind, he'd be like, I give you attention all day and I'm going to give you attention when I get home. Like, what the hell are you talking about? And we get defensive because he might hear that as like, what I'm giving you is not good enough. So what I've learned is in my communication of my triggers to him, I always start with accountability. And I will always acknowledge that it's possible. And this is this depends on the situation and it depends on my ability to be able to discern and and notice and identify what's going on. So in other words, I might say to him, I know this is not you. I know this is in me, but I'm needing more support from you in the form of, and then I'm very, very clear about how he can meet that need because that's all he wants to do ever. And that's what I've also learned is when he freaks out and he's like, what do you, what do you want? What do you, like, what do you, he doesn't do that, but that's my (laughs) bad impression of like, 
a frantic reaction to somebody being emotional, right? Because there were moments where he would say things like, I give you attention at home. Like, you can't just like let me have my space. And it was like, no, I want you to have your space. I don't know why I can't let you. Like, I can't put words to all of this. It's difficult. And then it's difficult for him because he's thinking he's not doing enough or good enough or meeting my needs or whatever comes up for him in those moments. So what I've learned is to be able to say, if I can discern in that moment, Whether if I know it's definitely my trauma and not him, it's a trigger and I know what the trigger is, I'm able to say to him, I know this is not you. I know this is my stuff coming up because I get triggered by this, 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 whatever. And I tell him and I go, and so I know what I'm needing in this moment is you to verbally reassure me that I'm safe or whatever it is, right? Whatever I know will help me from him in that moment. That doesn't mean he's going to take away my trigger when he verbally affirms me. He will absolutely not take away that trigger. Or he will take the edge off. It will support me. But I got to still hang up the phone or whatever's going on and do my own work. Step aside, go in my office, whatever, call B, whatever it is. I know I'm going to have to do my work. You know, So we don't realize sometimes that like, our triggers as trauma survivors can activate these triggers in our partners, friends, family, those people around us. And we're so trapped in our our emotion that we don't realize that it is bringing stuff up in them. And the way they're reacting, we almost get more triggered because we're like, why would you ever react that way? Like I had these moments where I was like, you are so not trauma informed. (laughs) Like I need to educate you on trauma. Did they not do this in your master's program? To be fair, they did not. They did not. But like, I was like, you don't understand what's happening to me right now because my expectation while triggered and activated was like, dude, just solve my problem for me because I'm completely rendered helpless in this moment. But When you take responsibility for your trauma and you know it's in you, it's yours, you have things that activate you, you have these triggers that come through your five senses, they they make you feel like there is a threat when there is no active threat in your environment or in the relationship. It's just taking you back in time to a moment where that was a threat to you, your body regulated to that and adapted to that, and now you're not in front of that but you're reacting as if you are. That's trauma. And so when you understand, and so that's why it's so so important that whether you're the trauma survivor or you're the person in the trauma survivor's life, get some basic, I don't, you don't need to know all the terms. Let's just keep this simple. Okay. I don't know if anyone else is going to tell you this, so I will. You don't need to know all of the terms. You don't need to know all of the, the, the parasympathetic, the sympathetic nervous system. You don't need to know how they all interconnect. You don't need to know all of those details. What you need to know is the basics. You need to understand basically what trauma is, okay, and how it activates a nervous system. What are these triggers and how do you identify them? How do they 
dysregulate. What is taking over your body in that moment to make you react that way? And what are these reactions, these trauma responses that we're having? What are they? Well, they're the way that you coped when you were threatened and you were in a dangerous situation. That's what they are. That is what they are. They're how you adapted to survive. That's what those trauma responses are. So when they don't make sense to the person in front of you, the person that cares about you, the person that may or may not be mindlessly, harmlessly activating you, when they don't make sense to them, that's okay. They're not gonna. They probably don't make sense to you half the time because guess what? Until you get triggered by something in the present, sometimes you don't even know you have that. And that's what happens when you go from being in a toxic, abusive relationship to a healthy one for the first time. I didn't know half of the shit that was going to come up for me because I was single. There was no way half of the stuff that I experienced with Phil was going to come up for me while I was single. Did I notice abandonment stuff coming up when I was dating? Thousand percent. Did it come up the same way when I was dating? Then when I was in a relationship, similar, but different. I always got anxious. I always panicked. I always had the same thoughts. How I dealt with those thoughts, different per person based on how that relationship was. That's important to recognize. I was living with my partner and everything was copacetic until he started having to go to these, matter of fact, Let's just, let's keep it 100, okay? Sorry, I'm running out of breath here. (laughs) And we're an hour in. Uh, So this is going to be a little longer than usual, but I want to get it all out. (sighs) Phil is at a work event today. Phil is at a work event today. Do you want to hear the difference in me now? Almost two years in, it'll be two years in May, Okay. You want to know the difference now as compared to at the beginning, six months in, let's say six months in when I started getting triggered. Here's the difference. When he had told me a few days or a week before that he had a work event coming up, six months in, I didn't shut up about it until the day. And then the morning of when he was getting ready to leave, I got all mopey, sad, needed constant reassurance, was super clingy, super needy, and begged for reassurance and validation. And then when he left, I'd get to work. I was fine. I was distracted. The minute the sun went down, even though I knew he was going to tell me when he was going to get home or he was at least going to check in and text, even though I knew communication was going to happen, it always did. Even though I knew he was coming home to me, even though I knew all these things, The minute the sun went down, panic ensued. And then I couldn't distract myself anymore. And then it was like, I need an update now. The minute the distractions had been completed, like I was done with the tasks or the work or the chores or the whatever for the day, I was like, now, because I didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to feel it. That's the somatic part of this process. Now, I work in the cognitive, right? But I always address and acknowledge and then refer out <laughs> for the somatic. The somatic, I mean, we do a little somatic when, when you're working with me privately because we sit and we feel these things, right? We hold space for them. 
So being able to feel what comes up for you, identify it, recognize where it is in your body and hold space for it, not intellectualize it, not analyze it. Like these two things. Now, when you're doing them simultaneously, you you hear it the way I'm talking about it. Because A, it's not 100% you just sitting there and being like, it's in my heart, right? It's not. Because even though you felt it and you held space for it and then it, you know, it moved through you and you were, you, whenever I've done that, right, and I didn't act, intellectualize it, I felt stronger after. But there was also a cognitive component to the work after. And after it was, let me trace back this pattern. Let me pinpoint so I'm in control of it moving forward. What activated it? What it? Where did it take me and what did I feel I needed to do, say, shout at this person. And then it was like, what am I going to do instead? How, like, who do I want to be in that moment? How am I going to cope? What's the healthiest, most supportive way to cope, right? But having that pause, that moment to sit and breathe and feel the emotions that come up, sometimes we don't want to do that. So we want to stay busy. We want to distract. We need the now, 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 now. He needs to answer me now. Call me now. You need to be home now. The urgency shows up. So that was six months in. Now we're almost two years in. I knew before we even left Mexico, he had work stuff this week. The first week we're back. He's been sick. So yesterday my focus was my work and making sure he was, you know, taken care of. We got his medicine, whatever, whatever, right? Um, it wasn't even a thought. It really wasn't a thought. There was, there was an awareness. Uh, honestly, I forgot to be honest. Then he mentioned, this is the worst week for me to have work stuff. Cause I don't feel good. And then that reminded me, oh yeah, right. I forgot you have work stuff. I didn't feel I needed extra reassurance. I didn't feel that I needed to cling or beg or anything. The only thing that I've learned that I do need now is a clear understanding of like, what time does this start? Whereabouts are you going to be? What does it look like? Like I want, I want to know a picture in my head of kind of what does your day look like? Because that allows me to have the capacity later when I've checked everything off my to-do list to run through my head and go, oh, it's like 4 p.m. He's probably doing X, Y, and Z. That gives me the space and then gives him the space and respect to do what he needs to do. So that's what I always do. When he goes out of town and he travels for work, I've learned that significantly helps me as well. Like, hey, what is our communication going to look like when you're gone? Like, are you going to have the ability to FaceTime given the event? You know, because he's like, he's at event, like entertainment events, red carpets, things like that. He's not always going to have the ability to answer me right away, grab a FaceTime. Sometimes he's with a client for several days at a time and, and their family and the team of people around them. So he'll break away. So we have some time to FaceTime. So I like to know the logistics of that, the timing and the things like that, because then I can get a visual and I'm able to then, as I tell him and I've told him, fill in the blanks. 
I'm able to fill in the blanks. When I don't have the visual and the understanding and you just go, I'm going to a work event, I'll be home later. Like he used to be able to do that in past relationships because he worked with, he dated people that were in a similar industry. Now, am I in a similar industry? Sort of, sort of, but not really, right? And I don't have to go to in-person events like that. So I have an understanding. I'm cognizant of influencer stuff, obviously working on social media, but not to the extent that maybe past relationships have had. So, so like in the past, they would both be at different events. And so there was this unspoken understanding of like, yeah, I'll see you later. Not for me. Homegirl's home, cooking dinner. I like my work-life balance. I love it. Worked really hard to achieve it. So for me, when I started asking questions, for him, he was like, what? He's like, I'm happy to answer anything, but I've never had anybody ask me these questions before. I go, because you've never had a girlfriend like me before. You're welcome. You're welcome. I am now helping you communicate better. So let's do it. I'm not doing it in an aggressive way. I'm not doing it in a manipulative or a controlling way. I don't need the details because I am a psycho and I want to stalk you. That was Amy when she was 20. <laughs> Amy's 38. So Amy wants the information so Amy can respect you and your day and your work and your needs and your bandwidth, right? So we, we, and that's the other big takeaway in this process, we have open lines of communication. And he always says to me, and and I am grateful that he verbalizes this because I'm a very verbal person. And like I said, he's not always that way. So he's a man of few words sometimes, similar to my father, but not in an unhealthy way. Like he's always willing to communicate and he's always open and honest with me. But I am chatty Cathy. Like I am just, when we go on a walk outside, guess who is usually talking 95% of the time? Does he join in? Yes. But he's very much like, he thinks through what he's going to say. Sometimes I'm just verbally processing out loud. I just like to talk. I like to hear myself talk. I like other people to hear me talk. <laughs> I am not shy at admitting that. I don't think it's a bad quality of mine. Uh, nobody's ever complained about it to me before. Um, I He will sometimes make jokes about it to me. He has pointed out to me that I verbally process and it's confusing for him because he wants to help or support or comment. And I will respond and go, don't. And he'll be like, well, when do I comment and when I don't? And I, that made me cognizant of the fact of like I was doing something that I didn't even know I was doing, right? So he pointed out this blind spot, quote unquote, or in other words, area of like, weakness or uh, an area where I lacked awareness, right? Um, so we we have these open lines of communication, which he always says to me, he's grateful for because it stretches him. And it we have the hard conversations we have since day one. We have these challenging, difficult, we face these difficulties, these challenges, these conflicts head on. And I think what helps, and I'll toot my own horn here, is that I have had so much practice in doing it in my work on a platform 
that I am brave. I am. I'm I'm brave where some people might shy away. I am brave. And I hope that my embodiment and what I model in how I share these things with you encourages and empowers you to be the same way. Because I'll tell you what, the healthiest relationships in your life are the most open and honest and forthcoming ones. The ones where you are not scared. Like I, with my best friend who I talked about in prior episodes where we reconnected after 11 years, right? I, we have had hard conversations with each other and I have just, she was not always someone who was very communicative, similar to Phil. She kind of holds things in sometimes. And I said to her, I, I upset her accidentally one time. I could tell because I'm hyper vigilant of people's tones of voices and behaviors and body language. I could tell something was off. But if you don't say it to me, there's an elephant in the room and I've made merch in the past. Like if there's an elephant in the room, I'm pointing it out. I will not live with an elephant in the room. Like with Phil, sometimes I walk right up to him and go, can we address the elephant in the room? Because I'm going to be so uncomfortable until we do. I know that sometimes you just want to move past these minor little grievances, but I need some level of acknowledgement. And he gets it. He gets it. Because for me, the, the verbal helps me move through it. And that, hopefully, as you're hearing this, helps you understand that like, there's no one right way to navigate these challenges or these trauma triggers, right? Like another big trauma trigger for me came up and I mentioned this, and this is a little bit of a trigger warning. So maybe click through Fast forward, I'm going to talk a little bit about intimacy and, and sex real quick, but which is not something I often talk about. I've always likened myself to be a highly sexual individual and, and never had any like qualms about my um, body or being intimate with people. I'm a Scorpio, like on crack. So I've <laughs> got a lot of Scorpios in my chart. Uh, don't ask me my sun and moon. I've done that shit many times and I always forget. Again, I liken that to an ADHD thing. Like I just forget things until, unless I write them down. Um, sometimes, not all things. It's weird. Anyway, I have never had, but when I dated, and I don't want to get into this story too much, but when I was dating people, I had a very traumatizing sexual experience with someone um, and highly abusive in that department and didn't like, like survived, obviously, but didn't realize the impact it had on me until again, six months into my relationship with Phil. Because six months in is when I apparently start to let a guard down I wasn't aware I had up. Like I thought, oh, we're already living together. We tell each other we love each other. Like we are truly connected partners in this. Like we're open, we're honest, we're expressive, yada, yada, yada. I didn't think that I had a wall up in that department until one day I just burst into fucking tears. <laughs> I'm laughing because that's how I cope right now. Uh, burst into tears. Also, it's just cheeky to me if you're listening to it because I'm like, oh, that's probably entertaining to hear. Um, burst into tears in the middle of 
sex and started trembling and panicking and didn't know what was happening to me. Like I didn't even know what was happening to me and I always know what's happening to me. So that made me feel even more out of control. And he was the most loving human being on the planet, like just held me, like stopped, everything stopped and dropped and just held me and asked me if I'm okay and what I need and like didn't ask me what was wrong until I started to come out of the panic. And then he was like, you know, what, like what happened? And I was even more panicky. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Cause I had never had anything like that in my life happen or like, I never had a reaction like that in that department. And so I learned through, through going to my professionals now and processing this, like, obviously it had nothing to do with him. It was stuff from that individual that I had briefly dated in my dating adventures coming up. And the reason it came up was because now I was deeply connecting with somebody and I finally felt safe. And I didn't realize that uh, I used being performative as my adaptive like coping mechanism in that department. While being intimate and sexual with people, I was very performative and almost like disassociated from the entire experience and didn't realize that I had long done that. And so I now was with someone where I didn't want to be performative anymore. I wanted to actually connect and I didn't know what that looked or felt like. Like I had never had that experience in my body. And so I had this, this trauma response and it was, I would say, I don't know if I experience, I feel embarrassment. I do. I don't want to say I don't experience embarrassment. I will say that in the moment, I wasn't so much embarrassed as I was scared of like, I didn't know what was happening in my body. And once I had some words to put to it, then I was able to hold space for it. And what helped me with that one, most importantly, was doing the somatic exercises that I talk about and reference um, and the program, the, the full body release program that I talk about that is linked. It's linked in my bio on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok. It's linked in there. It's labeled full body release. That is what I did. And there are hip, um, or you could do the 30 day hip course because the hip one specifically is what helped that. I was holding a lot of trauma in my body. Those exercises put me through it. <laughs> in other words, Phil and I did them together. And, you know, we laid yoga mats down every night. We went through the exercises in the program, the way it's curated. Um, and I was shaking and crying but obviously in a safe space doing those exercises. And so then releasing the trauma there when I would return to the, to the bedroom and we would be intimate in time. And it didn't take long. I would say like I, we took, we did that course 30 days 
was the hip course we did. And so probably by the end of that, I started to see significant, like drastic improvements in how I was feeling in the bedroom. So, so that was another one, right? And I, you know, I didn't realize also that by me having that reaction, and I think this goes unaddressed sometimes, but sometimes your trauma responses can traumatize your partner or the people in your life. Yeah. And sometimes we mislabel it as abuse and it's not. I mean, it is like the behavior can be harmful, but is it abuse with respect to like this person is deliberately and maliciously trying to hurt the other person? No. Sometimes what looks like abuse in those moments, like I w- obviously I'm not labeling my trauma response in the in this bedroom <laughs> abuse, but I am saying that my my trauma response caused and impacted my partner in a way I didn't realize or he didn't realize until after I had moved through it. And then he started having reactions and ways that he was coping with what he had like experienced with me. That's a sticky subject to talk about when I don't really want to talk about it. (laughs) But you get my point. My point is, is that Sometimes the way we react to our trauma ripples out and impacts the people in our life. And so part of the healing process with these people in our life is being able to have some words to put to it, being able to take action and be proactive in releasing that trauma. Like like I said, like that full body release was something that I got for myself and invited Phil to do with me. And he was more than happy to and open to and interested to. And so we did it together. We did it side by side every night. It was, it was carved out time for the two of us to, to lay on our yoga mats and do these exercises. And even though we were having vastly different experiences with the program, we were both committed to doing it together, which was now that I think back, like so beautiful so beautiful to have a partner willing and open to do that with me. So that's something as well that I would encourage, you know, alongside like programs like my boundary setting for trauma survivors course, that's something that benefits the people in the survivor's life as well, because it's teaching you how to set boundaries in a trauma-informed way. So that will support the partners to the trauma survivors. If you want to share that course, if you're a trauma survivor and you have someone in your life, share that course with them. Um, and if, you know, if you're, if your trauma survivor doesn't want to take it, you buy it and you learn it and you navigate how to set boundaries with them because the best way to teach other people boundaries is, is not to, lecture them on setting them, it's to set them yourself. Take it from me. Take it from me. Um, and, you know, and and so to have that information and those tools is important. It helps us be able to put words to things, to navigate things a little bit differently with care, with intention, with, you know, 
the awareness of how our behaviors ripple out. I'm just going to reference my notes real quick before we close out this episode, make sure I've tackled everything on it. Um, I think I did. I mean, keep in mind when I am on a podcast with you guys, I am storytelling. So I answer all of those questions that I covered in the beginning. I said I would answer uh, through my storytelling, through my storytelling. Obviously, please go leave me comments in the reviews if you want follow-up episodes on this content. If you want to hear more, don't DM it to me. Put co- Go leave reviews. Like, I need more reviews. <laughs> I don't need more DMs. Go leave your kind words every episode. Leave another review and another review and another review. Just go leave and write the reviews. That's what I want. Thank you. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. um, So I did, I covered, I covered everything through my storytelling and I'll close out with this. I'll close out with this and we'll, we'll hopefully land at the 90 minute mark and Uh, I can't say the episode is tight and right because it was long and juicy and meaty, but, but who doesn't love like a four course meal? That's what this, that's what this episode was. The, 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 the work, the work comes with challenges. It does. Everybody I talk to, whether, you know, you're in my comments or I'm working with you privately I'm like reminding people, I don't like, I don't know who told you it was easy. None of this is easy, but nothing. I I know some people hate this quote, but nothing worthwhile is worthwhile is easy. Nothing like, is it, is it easy to love my partner on the days when I like want to scream at him because he left all of his dirty plates in the sink and the dishwasher was empty not always. No. But you know what I do? I zoom out on the bigger picture and I say, is this worth, is this worth a fight? Is this a a five minute irritation versus a lifetime of happiness? Is this, you know, what is the trajectory of me digging in on an argument like this when I can just do it myself because it's bothering me? I know he'll do it if I ask him to. It's, the irritation of having to ask him, right? So like all of these little nuances that come up in these healthy relationships, for a trauma survivor, I I easily at times can look at these tiny little things like big things. I could be like, you don't care about me because you left all the plates in the sink and I do everything. I'm not appreciated. Like that's what goes through my head. I don't always say it out loud, but that's what goes through my head. And I've learned, go step aside, Amy walk away from him where you're not going to be like wanting to say something to him. Go put yourself in your office with your journal and do something for 15 to 20 minutes. This is what I do sometimes to self-regulate. Do something else for 15 to 20 minutes. And after 15 to 20 minutes, if it's still that heightened, then I sit down and I journal it out or I call someone up. And if it's still, then I realize I've got to say something. I've got to talk about it. It's it's important enough to set a boundary and have a conversation around. But what I've also learned is that like my urgency is 
my trauma. So there are times like there's a difference between this is an, an emergency versus there's an, an unmet need that's gnawing at me. And I need you to do something because I don't want to feel this right now. Right. And so I've learned to like give things space. So now I keep a little notes section in my phone of like, when, when we have our check-in, because we have monthly check-ins with each other, um, sometimes a couple times a month, I make a list now instead of bringing things to him every day, which is what I did at the start of our relationship. And he was like, Amy, I can't have these conversations every day. It's like, we're talking about a relationship and we're not in our relationship. And I didn't get it because I had never been in a healthy relationship romantically. I was like, what? I'm just course correcting as we go. <laughs> it's way more efficient than your way. And he was like, no, Aim. Like, we are both willing to have these conversations and we're open to improving. But we don't, like, these are not urgent things that needs to change at the drop of a hat. Like, I'm working. You can't bring it to me when I'm in the kitchen grabbing food and be like, you, you know, whatever. And I'm like, now I get it. But again, that came with experience and widening that window of tolerance. How did I widen that window of tolerance? Practically speaking, I did those somatic exercises to make space for my emotions, to not react to them immediately, to be able to uh, be resilient, to be able to cope and manage the stressors coming at me in a more efficient, healthy, supportive way, mature way. I processed it. I talked about it. I journaled about it. I identified my triggers. I tracked my patterns. I have a handle on, I know this is going to trigger me and I know exactly where it's going to take me. So I'm going to do this instead. All of that. I did all of that. So now I'm like, okay, I'll just add it to my notes section, make a little listy list. Like I used to send him like deep, deep <laughs> Instagram videos. And I was like, this this. But I'm in this all day. Like I'll have this conversation for another five hours if I could. I'm trying to close it out in a minute. But I'll talk about this all day because I'm in it. I work in it. I love it. I live it, right? He doesn't. It's not that he doesn't enjoy it. He's not in it 24-7. So he doesn't have space for it 24-7. And so now I save those videos. And when we sit down for our check-in, I go, can you watch this one? Because he's carved out the space to be able to receive it. So there's your insight into how that looks before and after, what comes up, and you know how I coped, how I moved through, how I changed my behaviors, how I changed my thoughts, how I expanded my window of tolerance, how I am able to now look back and go, wow, this is different. This is different. This is different. That doesn't mean I still don't have struggles, guys. So let's not get that twisted because I, she still does. She still does. As long as I'm living and breathing, I will still have layers that come up for me. Uh, but now we will tackle those with our guests. I can't wait. I'm so excited for season seven. Please, if you enjoyed uh, season one through season six, as I mentioned earlier, take some time out. If you're listening on Apple or if you're listening on Spotify, you can leave a review. Go leave me five stars. 
on Apple, you can leave a little comment. Please leave a comment. I love reading those. I love, love, love reading those. So leave me a little comment. I don't know if it lets you leave more than one. I'm assuming it does. <laughs> if it doesn't, ignore me. But uh, if it lets you, if you've already left one and you can leave another, leave another. Leave another after every episode. Tell me. Give me feedback. Um, let me know what you love. So um, that's it. The end. The end of an era. I'm just kidding. It's not the end of an era. We're just, we're expanding. We're bringing more people in. It's going to be a joy to work a new skill set and interview people. And I don't know, maybe I'll be great at it because for so long I was like, she's not interviewing anyone. I don't want to. It's about me. Now I'm like, let's not, I don't need it to be about me anymore. Growth, guys. Hashtag growth. That's so. <laughs> so lame that I just said hashtag growth. Anyway, we're going to end. She's done. Uh, she's starving. So I got, you probably heard my stomach rumble like five times at the end there. So we're going to go. We're going to sign off and we will, we will chat again in April, um, probably mid-April. I'm going to give myself a little, a little hiatus take a break, regroup, book some more guests for the coming months. And we'll I'll see you on Instagram. Get in my stories. Get up all in there. Make yourself at home. Get in my comments. Get in my reviews on my podcast. Chat with me through those um, platforms. And we'll be back soon. Okay? Take care.